Well, good morning and happy Father's Day to everyone in this house and those hearing my voice. Um, I am so blessed to be able to visit with you this morning on uh, such an august day. Big word, eh? <laughs> no, it's June, not August. You know, I was, um, as many of you do when it comes time to teach, you know, we pray and seek the Lord and ask for guidance about what he wants us to talk about. And I had, I really did not get any specific clarity about what I was going to teach on. I had a number of different um, uh, ideas and, and made note of a bunch of them, started doing a few studies. And I honestly kind of thought that, um, I, I don't, when I say thematic teaching, you know, uh, Christmas you teach about, you know, Jesus. Uh, Easter, you teach about he is risen. Father's Day, you teach about fatherhood. And I'm not really big on that. Um, but I, I, I really, when I was trying to develop this teaching, the Lord kept bringing me back to Abraham. And I know that he's the father of many nations, right? Um, but what I, what I want to do today is I, we are going to have a somewhat of a thematic teaching. Well, it's not somewhat, it is a thematic teaching. But we're going to um, look at Father Abraham, and we're going to look at him um, as a father of many nations, but also as a man, right? And, 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 you know, he was a man, and he had his failings, just like we all do. And so we're going we're gonna to jump right in and start our discussion about that now. Good. I had sent this, um, this teaching this morning early to Scott to, to the uh, designated email address. I hope it's posted up for you so that you have the scriptures. If you don't, it'll be up there at some point soon. Those in this house, of course, have a, a um, teaching sheet of scriptures. So let's start by looking at... Um, this whole thing just about comes out of Genesis, as you can imagine. Genesis is what? The beginning, right? So I, I really, that was one of the things the Lord spoke to me about was, you know, we, we it's good for, you know, it's, it's amazing to me how many people in the church today just discount the Old Testament, right? They look only at the New Testament. <laughs> I just got chills saying that. I mean, that's such a travesty. We have got to cling to the teachings and the directives and the, the instruction and the examples that we get from the New Testament. Yes, Jesus ushered in the new covenant. Praise the Lord. Um, but man, there's so much wonderful teaching and learning to be had in studying uh, the Old Testament. So, Genesis is where we're going to begin, at the beginning. We're going to begin in Genesis 17. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. We are going to be reading a lot of scripture this morning. I hope that's okay in this house. Um, so, beginning Genesis 17, verse 1. And when Abram was 90 years old and 9, the Lord appeared unto Abram and said to him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be perfect. <laughs> How many of you would like for the Lord to come to you and say, walk before me and be perfect? No pressure there. 
<laughs> no, no high expectations. I don't know about any of you, but I've had a hard time maintaining perfection. It's tough. <clears throat> the Lord goes on to say, I will make my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. And Abram did like all of us would do. He fell on his face. And God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. And you will be a father of many nations. And neither will your name be called Abram, but your name will be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made you. You know, we focus on this this name change, right? And we, we've seen this, you know, more than once in Scripture. And I did some study on this, and, you know, it's not, and it's really not as much about the name change as it is about the change of character of the person. Okay, the Lord changed Abram's character. He became, you know, from... Most studies would tell you that Abram means exalted father. Uh, but he became, he became, in addition to that characteristic trait, he became a father of many nations. And that's what, uh, or, or the father of a multitude is what, what Abraham means. And we go on to read, okay, so we've, we've established the fact that the Lord is going to make Abram and Abraham now a father of many nations. But in Romans uh, chapter 4, we're going to read verses 16 through 18. And it says, Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is, uh, which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him who we believe, even God, who quickens the dead and calls those things which are not as though they are, who against hope, believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. Abram had faith. Uh, and that was a, a, a strength, a, a strong character trait that he had. But you know, Abraham was many things, okay? Many things, good and bad. You know, how dare you say that Abraham, the father of us all, was bad? Well, he did have many strengths, and he had very um, um, many good characteristics, but he also had a number of weaknesses. Uh, the father of all who walked in faith. Did Abraham walk in faith? Absolutely, he walked in faith. But you know what else, Dennis? He also walked in fear sometimes. Does anybody else try to walk every day in faith, but sometimes fear enters in, and we do things as a result of that fear. And, we have, and there's consequences that come as a result of acting out in fear, right? 
I've often said fear not is the most repeated command in the Bible, and there's a reason for it because the consequences of having that fear and the actions that you might take, they can be lasting, okay? At times, Abraham was deceptive, and at the same time, he was one that was uh, given to hospitality, you know, to, to entertaining others, to taking care of people. He was a man of action. He was a man of strategy, and he also was a man, and we don't really think about this, but he was a man of battle savvy, okay? He, he was um, tactical, a tactical thinker. He was also a man of perseverance in prayer. And as fathers in this house, and I mean fathers to our children, yes, but also fathers to others, okay? There's, you know, there's this upswelling of young people in the land today, those Elishas. And like Elijah, like Abraham, we also are going to be called upon, are being called upon, and pressed into the service of these young people in terms of, of um, you know, being spiritual fathers, right? So we need, to, we need to look here at Abraham and remember that one of his super strong characteristics was his perseverance in prayer. But you know what I remember uh, most about Abraham when I think of him is the scripture that says he was a friend of God. Think about that. I mean, oh, that it might be said of me when I'm being remembered after I'm turned back into dirt that I was a friend of God, right? I mean, what a, what a high compliment, what a high praise, what a... What a worthy uh, aspiration for us as fathers to seek, and that's to be a friend of God. Amen? So I do think that on this Father's Day, it would be good for us to examine this man's life, the man who was known as a father of many nations. I think that it's fair to say that most of us would acknowledge that Abraham was blessed of God. We know that Abraham worshipped God. We know that he had faith in God and that he was obedient to the directives of God. We also know from our study that Abraham was a prophet and he was an intercessor. And of course, he was a friend of God. But you know, whenever I, I look at these, um, we'll call them giants of the Old Testament, right? Moses, Abraham, Noah, Job. I mean, these these just these these people that are you know bigger than life. Um, it's also very comforting, I have to say, for us to see that these patriarchs were also men, just like we're men, Dennis. You know, they 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 we put them on this pedestal, like you know, they're just. I mean, some people, it seems, almost worship them versus worshiping God the Father. They were men. They had their failings. I mean, we, we, we read about King David and Solomon and Abraham. and I mean, they were just men. And, and I think what I like about that is it gives us all hope, Dennis. Praise the Lord. Abraham, as I mentioned before, had his weaknesses. 
and I don't want to focus on the weaknesses, but um, we're, we do want to look at them to learn from them and um, to get some instruction and guidance. So I want to start um, in Genesis chapter 16, and I want to read verses 1 through 4. You notice also that Sarah had her name changed, right? Sarai, I guess, is how you pronounced it back then before it became Sarah. Um, Abraham's wife, she was barren and bore him no children. But she had a handmaid, handmaiden, uh, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said unto Abram, Look, the Lord has kept me from bearing children. He has restrained me from bearing. So I pray thee, go in unto my maid, and it may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. Kind of like Adam hearkened to the voice of Eve. And Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. He had come out of bondage. He had come out of Egypt. He was ten years in the land of, of Canaan. But here his wife brings an Egyptian uh, handmaid to Abram and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. So we all know the story, and we know what came of this. Um, and, 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 and I want to examine what happened here. So I think it's fair to say that Abram wavered in his faith here, <laughs> to put it lightly. Okay? He wavered in his faith. You know, we don't, we, don't, um, we don't read that Abram, the great man of faith, looked at Sarah when she made this suggestion. He didn't say with an emphatic no, no, we're not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. The Lord has told you and me that we're going to have a son together, and we don't need to help him out. We don't read that, do we? <laughs> that is not what happened and as a result we all know that um, he fathered Ishmael who the Bible says was a wild man every man was against him and he was against every man and to this day humanity suffers as a result of Abraham's or Abram's decision to act on his own plan, or on the plan of him and his wife that they came up together. Certainly it was a plan that was outside of the will of God and outside of what God told him was going to happen. Monica, do you ever try to help God out? You do? I think we all do, it's fair to say. Um, that's very hazardous, and um, it's, a hum it's human nature. But um, we do not need to help God. <laughs> we need him to help us. Praise the Lord. 
Let's look next at uh, Genesis chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 10 through 20. So there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was grievous in the land. And it came to pass that uh, when he came near unto Egypt, <clears throat> that he said unto Sarai, his wife, Behold, you are a good-looking woman. That's what he said. You are fair to look upon. And it may come to pass that when we get down into Egypt that these Egyptians are going to see you and they're going to say, wow, she's good looking. This is his wife. Let's kill him and they'll save you alive. And so Abram says to Sarai, he says, I pray thee, say that you're my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake and that my soul might live because of thee. <clears throat> So it came to pass that when Abram was coming to Egypt, the Egyptians, just like he suspected, they looked at Sarah and they found that she was very fair. The princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh. And as a result, the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Just like Abram knew would happen. And he entreated or, or treated Abram well for her sake. And he had sheep, and he had oxen, and he had asses. He had men servants, maid servants, she asses, camels. He had a lot of stuff. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And so Pharaoh calls to Abram and he says, What have you done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you tell me that she was your sister? I mean, I might have taken her to me to be my wife. And he brings Sarai out and he says, Behold, here's your wife. Take her and get the heck out. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning Abram, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. <clears throat> so... In this, we see another of Abram's uh, character flaws, okay? Abram was deceptive. Abram misrepresented his wife, Sarai, and held her out to be his sister. Why do you think he would have done such a thing? It's easy for us to see he had lack of faith in God's protection and covering over him. He feared that the Egyptians would kill him, and, 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 and he did not manifest that faith that we know him for in this situation. And you know what? It didn't only happen here, but we also see that it happens again um, when he's now known as Abraham, not Abram. In verse, uh, Genesis verse 20, verses 1 through 11, it says, And Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country. He dwelt between Kadesh and Shur, and he, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abram said, again, to Sarah now, not Sarai, but to Sarah, his wife, um, she's my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent, and he took Sarah. But God, God, this time God came to Abimelech in a dream at night, and he said, look, you're a dead man. 
this woman that you have taken, she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, would you slay a righteous nation? Did he not tell me that she was his sister? And even she, did she not say that he's my brother? In the integrity of my heart and in innocence of my hands, I have done this. So God says to him in a dream, yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart. And because of that, I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore suffered I thee that you not touch her. Now therefore restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. And if you restore her not, know that you will surely die, you and all that are yours. Therefore Abimelech rose early in the morning, and he called his servants and told them all these things. And the men were afraid, rightly so. And then Abimelech called Abraham, and he said unto him, <laughs> again, What have you done to me? What have you done unto us? What have I done to offend you that you have brought on me and on my kingdom so great a sin? Thou hast done deeds unto me that ought not be done. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What sawest thou that thou hast done this thing? And Abraham said, because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place and that you and your people would kill me for my wife's sake and I lacked faith, basically is what he's saying. So, you know, as all of us in this house know, all of us fathers, um, being a father and fatherhood is one of the most blessed things that we, we, we can be and that we can do, one of the highest callings that we have. But man, it comes with challenges, right? And how we handle ourselves in those times of difficulty, in those times of challenge, that whether we have faith or don't have faith, whether we act in a deceptive manner or a forthright manner, these things are critically important, obviously. And um, I, I, again, I just think it's comforting for us uh, fathers and men in this house to see that... Um, even the greatest amongst us have had their struggles, but the Lord has always been there. He has always been there to, um, to take care of those righteous leaders. It doesn't mean, as we'll see, that they did not suffer the consequences of their decisions, right? They did, and others did. So I want to talk um, on a little more positive note now about Abraham being a man of action, uh, being a savvy um, strategist in battle. And let's read Genesis 14, and we're going to read verses 13 to 24. So there had been a battle going on, and uh, an individual had escaped from this battle, and he, and he came to Abram, the Hebrew, uh, who was dwelling in the plain of Mamre, um, this uh, Amorite, a brother of Eshcol and a brother of Aner, uh, these were confederate with Abraham. So they, they stood with, I'm sorry, with Abram. They stood with Abram and with his clan. Um, and, and they told Abram 
about this battle and the fact that um, his brother and a number of his, his um, clan, we'll say, had been hauled off and, and stolen. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318 of them, and they pursued this, this, um, these marauders, if you will, unto Dan. Then he divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night, and he smote them. And he pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods, and he brought also again his brother Lot and his goods, and the women also, and all the people. It's interesting to me because, you know, how many times when we act out of desperation or fear or anger, do we take the most direct route to the end result that we want? And I mean, let's say as a father we have a kid that's misbehaving. The quickest result or the quickest path we could take to the end result is to raise our voice and yell at them and say, stop doing that, okay? But there's probably a better strategy, right? It doesn't mean that we're going to spare the rod and spoil the child because we're not going to do that. But there may be a better approach um, than acting out of anger or acting out of um, uh, heated passion, okay? And what we see, this character trait in Abraham is a, is a wonderful one because he's told that his brother Lot's been stolen, uh, the women, the children, all the goods, and he could have just grabbed up his men and chased them right down and entered into battle. But that's not what he did. And I have to believe that he sought the Lord over this and, and received the strategy. I mean, he, he had been preparing. He prepared ahead because it says that in his own household, born in his own household, he had 318 trained servants. And notice also that he armed them. He had enough weapons in his house, Rick, to hand everybody a gun. <laughs> right? He also, as he chased them, he didn't just take all of these um, 318 in one big clump and chase down the enemy. He divided up, you know. He sent probably some this way, some that way, maybe some behind. And kind of, he, he divided uh, the resources that he had in preparation for the battle that was about to take place. Also, he did not attack them in broad daylight. You know, he didn't just run down there with everybody in one clump and attack them in the middle of the day. Uh, he waited. He waited until the time was right, and they were least expecting um, a battle to ensue, right? He, he attacked them at nighttime. So as a result of this, he got back everything, and he probably got more because it says there was um, spoil, so after this battle, um, he's, he and his men and, and all the, the, the goods that have been returned to him, the women, the children, etc. Um, the king of Sodom 
marches out to meet him after his return from this slaughter. This king of Solomon and the kings that were with him at this valley of Shava, which is in the king's dale. And then it says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, and I want you to notice there's two kings here. There's the king of Sodom, and there's the king of Salem, Melchizedek, okay? Melchizedek brought forth bread and wine, and he was also the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him, he blessed Abram, and he said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which has delivered thine enemies into thine hand. After this, and pastors taught on this, we've had a lot of study about this, but after this, what does Abraham or Abram do? It says, and he gave him tithes of all. Okay? You know, I don't think Abram had sat in church and listened to messages about tithing. Okay? It was a character trait that was initiated and instilled in him from the beginning. And we see that throughout the scripture. He, that was his character. Okay? He knew that Melchizedek was the high priest. Okay? We don't see him giving these gifts to the king of Sodom, do we? No. He gave him tithes of all. Then the king of Sodom comes on the scene, and it says, And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons, and take the goods unto thyself. And Abram says to the king of Sodom, and this is pretty critical. I want you to, we're going to talk a little bit about this. So Abram says to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up my hands to the Lord, to the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from you a thread, not even a shoe latchet. The only thing that I'm going to take is that that is mine. I will take nothing that is yours. Lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. Save only that which the young men have eaten and the portion that belongs to the men that went with me, Aner, Eshkel, and Mamre. Let them take their portion. What I want you to see here is, you know the term healthy skepticism? We've heard that before, healthy skepticism. <laughs> Abram had a full dose of healthy skepticism, okay? And we see that here with the king of Sodom. Now, that may be because, you know, Lot chose to go to Sodom, and Abram went elsewhere into the plains that the Lord had given him, and he got to witness what was going on in Sodom and Lot, and I'm sure they had some commune about what all was going there. But he had a healthy dose of skepticism regarding the king of Sodom. I also want you to see that he tells him, I have lifted up my hands to God, the Most High God, the possessor of everything, the possessor of heaven, the possessor of earth. 
And Abram was very concerned about maintaining his independence. And, you know, there's a fine line between independence, uh, you know, and, and, and doing everything in our own strength. And that's, you know, I, I understand that. And I'm not talking about rugged, indivisu- rugged individualism. I don't need anybody else to help me. But what we're talking about here is maintaining our independence and thereby emphatically showing, demonstrating, and stating our dependence on God. And God alone, and not in any man, okay? And, and we don't see that very much these days. I mean, when you look in our, our world today and in what all is going on, I would ask you, do you have a mental picture of Abram having his handout, waiting for uh, government handouts or subsidies or, or freebies, <laughs> social programs, I think he wanted none of that, okay? His program was complete dependence and reliance upon Abba Father, period. And that's something that I think if we don't point that out here, it gets lost in translation. And for us as fathers on this Father's Day, most of us don't have small children in here, but again, we're, we're, we're going to be a father to others. They're watching. They're watching. And we want them to see, just like we wanted our own kids to see, that our dependence is on God. Our dependence is not on man. He would not allow himself to be put in a position where the government could say that they made him rich. He was a bond servant of the Most High God and absolutely no one else. Amen? Whenever I think about hospitality, (laughs) I have to say, Sondra Carter pops into my head. Sondra and Barry. You know, Barry over there filling up the tea pitchers and, you know, just getting, helping her getting everything ready. I mean, when I think about hospitality towards others, I always think about Sandra. So, Sandra, if you're listening, <laughs> that is the absolute truth. But let's look at Abraham, the father of, of many nations, and let's read in Genesis 18, verse 20 to 33 about hospitality. He was. He was hospitable to strangers. Okay? So beginning chapter 18, verse 20, The Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. There wasn't much else to do back then. But he lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and behold, lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door, and he bowed himself to the ground. And he said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Let a little water, I pray, be fetched, and let's wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Come in out of the heat and the dust and take a break. Let's let's rest. Let's get you rested up. I will fetch a morsel of bread and comfort ye your hearts. 
so that after, then you can continue on. Then you can pass on your way. For therefore are you come to your servant. And so they said to him, Do as you have said. And so Abraham hastened unto his tent, unto Sarah, and he said, Make ready quick three measures of fine meal, knead it, and bake cakes upon the hearth. And then Abraham ran to the herd, and he fetched out a nice, tender, juicy calf, a good one, and he gave it to the young man, and he hastened to dress it. And then Abraham took butter and milk and the calf which had been dressed, cooked, roasted, and he set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree, and they did eat. What a contrast to, what, to how our society treats strangers today. And again, I mean, everybody in this place knows, I know, we don't want our kids getting in a car with a stranger, right? <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. But what I'm talking about is entertaining strangers. I'm absolutely amazed when I read the Old Testament that the number of times that the Lord instructs his people to be kind towards and to remember strangers. To remember the traveler, to remember the sojourners in the land, those that are, that are just passing through. You know, that's because God's children, the Israelites, were strangers in the land for a number of years, right? He's constantly reminding the Israelites that they were once strangers in a strange land. And Abraham possessed this quality of hospitality towards others. You know, how, how do we feel about strangers? You know, how do we feel about, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of this. You know, you see people driving in your city with the license plate from New York. How do you feel about them, Rick? Let's be truthful. You know, go back to where you came from. Get the heck out of God's country. You know? And I don't know if that's just like, I mean, we're born of a sinful, selfish nature, right? But we are to be regenerated. And, 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 and what a contrast we see in Abraham and his treating of strangers. How would it be in our world if when we saw, you know, three straggly-looking strangers with, you know, knapsacks on their backs and their shoes worn out in the heat of the day, all dusty and dirty, if we went to them and said, hey, come on over here, come in out of the shade, you know, hop into this restaurant, I'll buy you lunch, tell me about your, your journeys, right? That's the kind of man, that's the kind of father that Abraham was. And maybe it's because he possessed that you know, that trait in addition to others, that the Lord allowed him to be the father of many nations. You know, it, it, takes, it takes something to be a father. And it definitely takes a lot of things to be a father of many nations. I mean, most of us in this place, we have two or three kids probably at the most. <laughs> Can you imagine what he went through at times? 
One of my favorite passages um, is in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, and it says, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. I'm interested to know in this house, those who are listening and seeing this, um, how many of you feel like you've actually had this happen? Show of hands. Anybody? Okay. Three of us. I, I'm serious. I, I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that I've had this happen. One time I was at my office and um, I'm in downtown Dallas, and there's a, uh, across the street from me, there's a Dart train station. And on this little corner, there's a Subway sandwich shop, and then there's like a 7-Eleven up the road. And I had uh, run across the street to get a sandwich from Subway to bring back to, to eat at my office. So I go across, you know, and there's just, there's, um, a lot of people milling around because the, because of the um, you know the rail station there, and uh, I get my sandwich, put my change in my pocket, and I'm walking back across the street to my building. And when you come up to my building, there's a like a canopy, uh, four or five steps that go up, and then there's like a kind of a wall over here with some shrubbery. And there was a what I perceived to be a homeless person sitting there. And this homeless person didn't say anything to me, but I saw him. It was hot. I had a sandwich. I mean, I had my lunch, and they're sitting there, you know, in the heat of the day. And so I reached in my pocket, and I pulled out, and I had a five and, like, some change. So I gave, I gave a five, the $5 bill to this person. And um, I gave it to him and looked him in the eye, and I just said, God bless you. And they were just like, oh, thank you, brother. Thank you, brother, so much. Thank you. When I was coming across the street before this happened, there was another gentleman to my left that, I, that was also come, you know, walking kind of behind me up, up the steps. And um, he did not possess the gift of hospitality. <laughs> you know, so I, I, gave, I gave this $5 bill to this homeless person and, who was grateful for it. And this guy, I heard under his, his vo under his breath, he mumbled, give me a break. <laughs> That's the world we live in. Okay? Abraham was a wonderful role model for us in this. Okay? He had a heart for the stranger. And we need to remember that at times like that, where, where we do something like that, I really believe, because I, I never saw that person out there again. You know, did I entertain an angel unaware? One day I'll ask that question. But I, I, I feel that that was very likely. So let's read real quickly about... Um, persevering in prayer. We've got a lot of intercessors in this house. We spend 
uh, a lot of time in prayer, one-on-one uh, -on -one prayer, uh, tongues, diversities of tongues, a lot of praying. Praise the Lord, because that's what we need to be doing. But let's read in Genesis 18. I'm going to begin at verse 20 and read through 33. And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and because their sin is so very grievous, I'm going to go down now, and I'm going to see if they've really done altogether according to the cry of this city, which has come unto me. And if not, I'm going to know it. Okay, so it says here, And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the land. I believe these were uh, angelic beings the Lord was sending into Sodom and Gomorrah to check out the lay of the land to find out what was going on and that they were going to come back and give a report to the Lord. Okay? As if the Lord didn't know, but this is how he works. Okay? So Abram drew near. He drew near to the Lord and he said, because he knew, <laughs> Abraham knew what the state of Sodom and Gomorrah was. He says, hey, Lord, are you going to destroy the righteous with the wicked? He knew what the report was going to be of these angels that were doing the investigating, okay? I love this peradventure. Basically, he says, look, if, if, if there are 50 righteous in this whole city, are you going to destroy it and not spare that place for the 50 righteous that are therein? That be far from thee, Lord, to do after this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, that the righteous should be as the wicked, and be far from thee. Will you not judge all of the earth and do right? So this is, I, I get this mental image here that Abraham is just having a conversation like I would sit there and have with you, Pastor. Look, are you really going to destroy this place? If, if there's 50 people that are righteous in there, are you really going to light it up and burn it all down? You know, he's just, he's just asking. He's asking God a question. And I heard recently, I can't remember where I, where I was or who told me this, but it, it, the comment was, it's okay to ask God questions. It's not okay to question God. Those are two entirely different things. Don't question God. Ask God questions. Dennis, do you want your kids asking you questions? Yes. yes, we do. That's part of the way that we instruct and educate and grow up our children in the way they should go, right? They ask us questions. We give them biblical, spiritual guidance based on what the Lord has shared with us. That's the kind of conversation I see going on here. Abraham's visiting with God, talking to him and asking him questions. And so the Lord says, look, if, I, if in Sodom there are 50 righteous in that city, yes, I will spare that whole place for their sake. <laughs> Abram goes on, or Abraham goes on and he answers and says, well, you know, I've taken it upon me to talk to you this way, so let's keep going. Um, and I am but dust and ashes. You know, he, he acknowledges that he is no more than dirt. But look, if there are... Um, <laughs> I love how he said, if there lack five of the 50, basically, if there are 45, 
are you going to destroy it for 45? And the Lord says, look, if I find 45 there, I'm not going to destroy it. Abraham, persistent in prayer, speaks to him again. And he says, okay, well, how about if there's 40? And the Lord says, nope, I will not do it if there's 40. I will not destroy it. Okay, look, Lord, don't be angry with me for being so persistent. But look, how about if there's 30? Will you, will you destroy it if there's 30? <laughs> the Lord in his patience, he never rebukes Abraham for being so persistent. I think the Lord loves it. He never rebukes him. He says, nope, I won't do it. I will not destroy it if there's 30 people there. And he says, look, again, I've taken it upon myself to speak to you this way, Lord. How about 20? <laughs> He's just whittling it down. How about 20? And the Lord says, nope, I will not destroy it, not even if there's 20. Lord, don't be angry with me. I'm going to speak this but once. What if there's 10? What if, what if the angels come back and say there's 10 righteous? And he says, I'll not destroy it for 10's sake. And the Lord went his way as soon as he had left off communing with Abraham. And Abraham also returned unto his place. It says the Lord went his way. I think the Lord turned around and went his way with a big smile on his face after having had this, this discussion like almost with a little child, right? This is, um, this is one of Monica's favorite passages, and it's, it's such a, and I think part of the reason why is it's such a beautiful, I can't speak for her, but I imagine it's because it's, it's such a beautiful thing for us to, to witness and to have a, an inside view of the commune between this man who we've already looked at and determined was not perfect, had plenty of failings, made many mistakes. But to see the commune and the conversation between these two and to witness the persistence of Abraham on behalf of these people of Sodom and Gomorrah, these sinners, these dirty, filthy, rotten, lousy sinners living in a den of iniquity, But Abraham is pleading on their behalf. Is that how our society acts today? <laughs> you know, we see a den of iniquity and we're like, Lord, bring down the fire, burn that place up. All of them. That's, that's, that's how our society is, okay? But we are called out. We are set apart. We're not called to be part of that society. We're called to be different. And to me, this is a shining example of how we should, like Abraham, be interceding and pleading and begging the Lord in these days to spare our own land for the sake of the righteous. Okay. I would like to say that I don't think that the Lord is done with America, I, and I don't think he is. But I also don't honestly know how much hope there is for our nation. But what I do know is there's hope in Christ. 
And I think rather than being so worried about the state of our nation, we need to be more focused like Abraham on persistent prayer, on confession, on repentance, identificational repentance for the sin of our nation. Be prayerful, persistent, prayerfully interceding and asking the Lord to bring repentance and that end time harvest as a result thereof. You know, we talk about a lot about patriotism. Fran, are you a patriot? Yeah. Everybody in this house is a patriot, okay? I'm a patriot. But you know what? In this season, so many have turned to patriotism when they should have been turning to prayer. Okay? Yes, we should be patriotic. Yes, we should be patriots. But before that, we should be persistently prayerful. Amen? So, what are a few additional lessons that we can take away from the Father of many nations, the Father of all who walk in faith? Well, one thing I think we can take away is that in the very beginning, again, in the book of Genesis, which means the beginning, we need to be willing to leave our comfort zone and follow God. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, it says, Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, from thy father's house, and go unto a land that I will show you. That's future tense. He didn't have it on a map saying, here's where you're going. Abram had to leave not knowing where the Lord was going to take him. That would not set well with virtually anybody okay we all want to know <laughs> we don't want to be in the dark but he tells him right here i want you to get out i want you to get out of your ken do you know what ken is kinfolk it's your family i want you to leave your family i want you to leave your nation i want you to go and i will lead you you're going to go to a land that i will show you along the way and he says, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless you, and I will curse them that curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Wow. <laughs> Can you imagine hearing that from the Lord? What an astounding blessing but you know what another thing we can take away from Abraham is obedience he was obedient and because of this one man's obedience the world was forever changed we just read Genesis 12 verses 1 through 3 verse 4 says well it doesn't say that abraham started deliberating with god do i really have to leave my family can you tell me where we're going before we start what does it say genesis 12 4 
It says, so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. No questions asked. He departed. And not only him, but his brother Lot went with him. And Abram was 70 and 5 years old when he departed out of Haran. Genesis 22, 1 to 3. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. And he said unto him, Hey, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son that you have waited for and prayed for and messed up over, the one you finally got. I want you to take your only son, Isaac, who you love, and I want you to take him up into the land of Moriah. And you know what I want you to do? I want you to lay him on an altar and I want you to sacrifice him as a burnt offering upon the mountain that I'm going to show you. We do not read that Abraham started pleading and begging and arguing with God. The next verse we read says, And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took his two young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering, and he rose up and he went to the place that God told him about. I would like to say that I could be that obedient. I don't think so. <laughs> Maybe I would be stronger than I, than I imagined, but wow. No arguing. He gets up and goes. So we know the story he gets up there and, you know, Isaac says, hey, Dad, where's the sacrifice for the burnt offering, yada, yada. And he binds him and puts him on the altar and he raises his hand and he's about to do the deal. Verse 15 says, And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of, the hev out of, out of heaven the second time after he, had, after he had stopped him and provided the sacrifice for him. And he says, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, for because you have done this thing, and you've not withheld your son, your only son, that in blessing I will bless you, and in multiplying I will multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice obedience that's huge okay we're not going to know why we're not going to know the answers to everything okay that's not the way God rolls he's testing our faith if, if, if we can't move forward until we know the whole plan <laughs> we're going to start growing mold okay you ever heard that saying that mold does not gather on a rolling rock? Okay? Doesn't happen. We've got to be obedient. We've got to be people of action. What the Lord calls us to do, we have to do it. 
It's a great lesson for us fathers this day. Um, another thing that we see here is that, um, and it's demonstrated in this relationship that we had the privilege of looking into, that God is love, right? God is love. He does not rule over us with an iron fist. He's not standing up there waiting to whack us when we make a mistake. And we see this in Abraham's life. I mean, we already saw them. I mean, he made some big mistakes, right? Mistakes that have caused problems in his marriage, problems in his family, problems in his relationships. And even as we said earlier, problems in the world today. I mean, all the conflict that we witness today in the Middle East it's all a result of that bad decision. Yet even in his failures and his weaknesses, God looked out for him. God did not go back on his promises. Okay, oh, you don't have faith, Nancy? Eh, forget what I told you. That's not how he works. Instead, he offered forgiveness and restoration forgiveness and restoration. Those of us in this house, those of us hearing this message, if you're a father to children, if you're a father to young people, forgiveness and restoration is huge. Okay? We also see uh, that we should not be selfish. We are born of a sinful, selfish nature, but we should not be selfish. Abraham was not of a selfish nature. He looked after the needs and the wants of others. He was others-focused. He allowed others to have the first choice. He allowed others to have their pick of what they felt like was the best. And he did that because he trusted that God would take care of him. Nancy, two pieces of cake. One's gigantic, one's little. You pick. If I get the little one, no problem. You take the big one, be happy. The Lord's probably going to give me a whole cake. Okay? That's, that's, how, that's how he operated. He knew God would take care of him. The story in Genesis 13, verses 1 through 9, that we'll read quickly here. I think I have a few more minutes. Abraham went up out of Egypt. He and his wife and all that he had and his brother, Lot, went with him. And they journeyed into the south. Now Abram was very rich, had a lot of cattle, a lot of silver, a lot of gold, lots of stuff. He went on his journey from the south even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar, which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents, lots of stuff. And the land... Was, was not large enough to bear them that they might dwell together because their substance, their blessing from the Lord was so great they couldn't fit it all together. And so what happened is there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. <clears throat> and the, the, the Canaanite, the Perizzite that dwelled in the land, there was all this strife and conflict. And so Abram said to Lot, look, let there not be strife amongst us, Okay. I'm not going to argue with you over the piece of cake. I don't want your herdmen arguing with my herdmen. I want peace. 
the whole land is before us, right? God owns everything. It's all before us. And so he says to Lot, separate yourself, I pray thee, from me. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. You pick. He did not really care, right? <clears throat> How refreshing would that approach be today? <laughs> the day that we live in, everybody's looking out for themselves, right? I mean, everybody wants the best parking spot. Everybody wants the fastest lane, and they'll change 10 times to make sure they're in it. They want the biggest piece of cake. It's their way or the highway, right? That's how, that's, that's how it is. How did this approach work for Lot? How did it turn out? <laughs> Not very well. Verse 11 of Genesis chapter 13. So what did Lot do? No, Abram, you look, brother. You're my brother. You pick. No. Lot looks out on the plain of the Jordan. And he looks to the east and he sees how beautiful it is. And he separates himself and he chooses to go there. So Lot journeys east. They separated from one another and Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan. And Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain the cities of the plain, and, pinched, and pitched his tent in Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Separately, over on the plain, the Lord says to Abram, after Lot was separated from him, lift up your eyes, just look around you, look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, all this land which you see, I'm giving it to you and to your seed forever. I'll make your seed like the dust of the earth, if a man can even number the dust of the earth. So shall your seed be numbered. I want you to get up, and I want you to take your sandals off, and I want you to walk through the land, the breadth of it, the height of it, all of it, because I'm going to give it all to you. So Abram moved his tent, and he came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron. And he built an altar there unto the Lord. Do you think Lot built an altar unto the Lord when he hit Sodom? Probably not. Lot was looking out for himself, and he ended up making the wrong choice. He and his family were surrounded with bad influence. They were surrounded with wickedness and sin to the extreme. This daily exposure to sin and to sinful temptations negatively impacts Lot's family. His wife gets turned into a pillar of salt. He lost kids. It was disastrous for him. And you know, oftentimes when we choose what we think is the best without any thought towards what God thinks is the best or any consultation or any prayerful consideration, we miss out not only do we find ourselves in a bad spot, but we miss out on the good that the Lord had prepared for us. Amen? I think another lesson we learn is that we should be givers of our tithes and our offerings like we saw with Melchizedek. 
We also need to build altars unto the Lord. When you think about building an altar unto the Lord, what do you think about? In my mind, when I think about building an altar, it's this big thing made out of rock and stone that a big old bull can fit on top of. It's got a trench built around it. It's huge, right? It would take days or weeks or months to build. That's in my mind when I think about an altar. That's what I think of. I was climbing a 14,000-foot they call them 14ers in Colorado with some friends of mine. And once you get up to a certain level, it's called above tree line. There are no trees. The air is thin. It's cold. It gets windy. All there is is rock, okay? Well, there's no path because it all looks the same, right? It's all rock. Well, the first time I had done this, we're climbing up. And, I mean, you're literally, you know, climbing, not ropes and stuff, but you're, you're working your way up. And I'm looking around like, where in the heck do we go? And I see this pile of rocks, okay? It's about this big around, and it's about this tall. And what it is is it's somebody's like, built this little pile of rocks, and everybody that comes by, they add to it. They add to it, and it gets a little bigger and a little bigger. Those are called carns, K-A-R-N-S, okay? Basically... That is what an altar is. Well, there's still the big altars like you know we see in the temple, right, where they make the daily sacrifice. But I believe that when we see uh, Abraham building an altar, he's building a place of remembrance. He's building a place to remind him of the way to go. Okay, so when you're up there above tree line at however many thousand feet that is, you see these carns. Okay, and, you, and you, so you go to this one, and you're there. And maybe there, your view was blocked, but now that you're there, you look around, oh, you see another one. You walk over to that one, okay? If they weren't there, you'd be lost. And I think these altars um, that Abraham built were uh, done to the Lord to give him thanks and to be a memorial and to remind him and to cause him to come into memory of what the Lord had done and also to show him the way. Lastly, we need to remember that, and this is a takeaway from the life of Abraham, we need to do things God's way, not our way, okay? If God says, I'm going to give you a son, wait. Don't find your Hagar, okay? Even if your wife says to do it, don't do it. The result of Abraham's sin and lack of faith regarding Hagar and the resulting Ishmael like I said, or felt today. The bottom line is, we don't need a better plan. There is no better plan than the Word of God. There is no better plan than what the Word tells us is going to happen and how it's going to play out. What's in the Bible is all we need, and what we need to do is obey. To obey is better than sacrifice. Obey and pray. <laughs> Be obey and persistently pray. Amen? So that is um, my teaching for today on the father of many nations, the father of all who walk in faith. And I hope that all of us in this house who are fathers, spiritual fathers or you know, literal fathers to young children, um, have learned something today, character traits that we can employ that will um, accomplish the will and the work of the Lord in our lives. Amen?
the end.